Okay. Well, allow me to open up in a word of prayer, and then we will spend some time in the text this morning. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so very much for everything you blessed us with. We thank you for the wonderful reality of the gospel, the wonderful truth of the gospel. And Father, I just ask that as we spend time looking at your word, spend time contemplating what you've done for us, sitting here praising you for what you've done, uh, I pray, Father, that this text would encourage us, that your spirit would be working in our hearts causing us to be more like your son, Jesus. We thank you so very much for all that you've done for us. In your son's name, amen. What do you glory in? What brings you the most joy and the most satisfaction in life? Or or let me ask it this way. What are you willing to die for? Let's take a moment, think about it. I got a question that may be even more striking. What are you willing to live for? Because I guess dying for something would be easy. It's a one-time thing, right? I just do it once and then I'm done. But living for something, well, that, that's something a little bit different, isn't it? That's every moment I'm doing something. This passage this morning, I I think, is one of those passages that helps us prioritize what we should glory in, what we should find our most joy in. And I just want to make this brief comment. I, I, I know that all scripture is inspired by God and that all scripture comes to us and is important and we are supposed to learn from all scripture. But there are certain passages that due to their clarity, their language, their brevity, direct our thoughts with such, pre- with such pre- precision that God uses them in the hearts of people. And I feel like the passage we're getting ready to study this morning, Romans 1.16, is one of those texts. I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about how God has used this text in Romans chapter 1 in the history of the church There was a time long ago where there were many people who claimed to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and they forgot this message that we're going to study this morning. They forgot it. They were focused on other things. They added other things. And while there were people who taught the message of the gospel, they taught the message of the cross, it was largely forgotten, largely marginalized and As God works in the life of the preaching of his word, he happened to use a stubborn German seminary professor who was assigned a book. He didn't want to teach to seminary students the book of Romans. And it was in this passage that we're getting ready to study that the clarity of the gospel came through and it hit Europe like a lightning bolt. This thunderclap of the clarion call of the gospel spread What was before something that was marginalized and silenced now is being talked about in churches all over Germany, France, Switzerland, England, Scotland. And people are for the first time hearing the gospel, for the first time hearing the idea that I don't have to buy my way into heaven, 
There was a saying at that particular time where there would be preachers that would come by and they would sell these things called indulgences. And the, the saying is, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory, it springs. May, mainly, you can buy salvation with money. This passage that we're getting ready to study cuts right at the heart of that. It's the antithesis of that. The message was so freeing, so, so incredible. It, it, it upset everything. And yet, at the same time, the same passage which so beautifully clarifies the gospel also became the very verse that encouraged bravery in the, fo- in the face of persecution for people that hate the gospel. So many who claimed to follow Jesus killed people for the message we're about ready to talk about. And so the same passage that we're going to study not only offers that clarity of the gospel, it also is that thing that encourages bravery to stand up for the gospel. And so this morning, we are going to be studying a really, really incredible text. Really incredible. I I think it's incredible because of the way that Paul writes it. It's incredible because it's so, it, it cuts through a lot of stuff and it helps us focus on the right things. It gives us clarity It's such an important text because it gives us such a great outline of what we're talking about. Such a great text because it encourages us to focus on the gospel and to be willing to stand boldly for the gospel. So this morning, as we begin to look at this passage that God has used in the lives of many brothers and sisters, we are going to spend some time in Romans 1.16. And one of the things that we're going to see that I want to encourage us with is that we need to boast in the gospel. The gospel should be our glory. It's the thing that should bring us the most joy. It's the thing that should bring us the most satisfaction. And it is the thing that we should boast about. It's the th- it, it is it. It is our boasting. That is it. You want to go around and boast? The gospel. May we never leave boasting the gospel. And so this morning, that's where we're going to look at. We're going to look at this first clause, Romans 1.16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want to point out three things as we just think of this phrase. First is this, is the compulsion to to boast. There's a compulsion for us to boast. Second thing that we're going to see is the confidence to boast in the gospel. And then lastly, the content of our boasting. So, let's go to Romans 1. Go with me to verse 16. And notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from, uh, from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, you notice there in the beginning of verse 16, it starts off with the word for. That is always explaining. It's always adding. And so there's this idea that when Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, it carries with it the weight of the context. So based off of what Paul just said, he is now going to say why he is so eager to preach the gospel because he is not ashamed of the gospel. There is this compulsion for Paul to boast in the gospel. And the question is, 
Why does Paul have such a compulsion, such an eagerness for the gospel? You think about it, in ancient Rome, it was the power of the world government. That's where the emperor of Rome sat. The entire world knew about the emperor of Rome. He was the most powerful person. Paul could have cared about that. Think about this. There were more slaves in Rome than there were freemen. He could have cared about that. He could have been eager to go change the culture there. Think about this. There was human trafficking, sexual human trafficking. He could have cared about that. That could have been his main message. But no, he is eager to preach the gospel because he's not ashamed of the gospel. So why is Paul so eager? What's this compulsion? Well, as we studied in the context in the first 15 verses... Remember, in the first part, in verse 1, remember what Paul says. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So it's Paul's mission. Paul understands his mission. He understands that he is here to serve Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's been called to this ministry, Called to this apostolic ministry. This is something that God has predestined for Paul before the foundation of the world that he should be an apostle. And then he is, apart from that, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul understands this is what it's about. It's about the gospel. And remember, as we talked about this, we talked about how each of us, we could look at this and go, yep, I'm supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Yep, I have a ministry. I'm called to a ministry. Yep, I've been set apart for the gospel. If you understand that, if we really understand that, then it is abundantly clear that we should then be eager to talk about that gospel with which God set us apart and it should not be a thing that is secondary to us. It's the primary message. There's another thing. Notice what Paul does in verse 2 in following verses. He says, Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does Paul see his mission, he also sees his message. That's his message. This is the message. This is the message he was set apart for. This this incredible message of the gospel and salvation through Jesus Christ. He has his message. And when you just think of the content of the message itself, does it not, does it not inspire us to be bold, to be excited about? There's another thing. Notice what he says next. He says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. This is Paul's motivation. He wants everyone to be faithful to Jesus. And then in the following verses that we studied last week, Paul prays and he's praying for them. He's thankful for the work of Jesus in their life. He is praying that he can come and minister to them the gospel. He has this motivation to see people be faithful to Jesus. And so it's these things, it's this, that he is so eager to preach the gospel. This is what he's called to do. This is God's mission on his life. This is the divine calling. Not only that, but this is the divine eternal message 
All of history is culminating in the cross. And his motivation is, I want you to grow in this message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so therefore, when he says the word for, this is a strong for. It's like a tide. It's like a tidal wave coming in. Paul has this incredible compulsion to preach the gospel, this incredible compulsion to boast. Why? Because he understands what God is doing in his life. He understands the message, and he has this divine motivation. So for him to say, for I am not ashamed, it comes from this understanding of the gospel. Now, as we then turn to this next word, as we now think about the confidence to boast... It's one thing to say, yeah, I have a compulsion to boast. It's another thing then to have a confidence to then boast in the gospel. And Paul says something really interesting. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, other places, the apostle Paul says, I glory in the gospel. I boast in the gospel. I boast in Christ. And that's what he's saying here. But he's saying it in such a way makes you pause, doesn't it? Every time that you read this, haven't you paused and went, well, why is he saying it like that? Why, why is he saying it in the negative? For I'm not ashamed. Well, he's using a particular figure of speech here where he's uh, talking about a negative in order to affirm a positive. In fact, it's done in such a way that every time I read it, I pause and go, you're not ashamed. Well, of course you're not ashamed. You're the apostle Paul. So why did you say that? Why did you say, I am eager and I, am, and I glory in the cross? Why say I'm not ashamed? One, I think it's to get us to stop, to think. Not only that, I think the Apostle Paul understands. He definitely understands, as we all understand. We're not always as bold as we should be or eager as we should be about the gospel. And so by putting it this way, it causes you to stop and go, well, there's times I've been ashamed of. By the way, this word for ashamed means to be swayed, to refuse, to to give in, to waver. So by Paul saying, I'm not ashamed, he's saying I'm standing firm, I'm not I have this assurance. I'm standing firm. I have courage. I I have a resilience in the midst of trials. I'm unwavering. I'm unwavering in my conviction. Unwavering in my boasting. There's another question that I think when I ask this, and you've probably heard me ask this several times. Well, what would Paul have to be ashamed about? Like, is the gospel something worthy of shame? And does the mighty Apostle Paul struggle with this? Sometimes I, I, I think this way when I think about Paul. I kind of feel like he's like the, the high school quarterback and I'm still the middle schooler, right? And I see the high school starting quarterback and wow, he's so much better than me. And he drives a cool car. I still have to ride a bike, you know? And when, when, when he says hi, you get all clammy, like, oh, hey. Like, there's, there's no way that we belong on the same planet. 
That's some way I feel about the Apostle Paul. And as I've read, about, read the words of the Apostle Paul, I realize, no, he's just like us. The Apostle Paul understands this temptation. In fact, go with me to the book of, or the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Notice, what, notice the, the prayer request that Paul has for the church. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's just go to verse, verse 19. And he says, and also for me, so, so be, be praying for me, keep alert in, in prayer, and, and make all supplication for the saints, yeah, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So what the, what's the Apostle Paul praying for? He's praying for boldness, an unwavering commitment to the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul really, really struggled with this. I don't know. But what I do know is that he's praying for boldness here. Meaning what? He too is like us. It is a struggle to stand up for the gospel. It is. There, there are times there are times where you get all sweaty and you get all nervous and you go, maybe it's not the right time. You know it's the right time, but it's not the right time. I'm not going to say something. Or, or there's times where you go, you know what? I'm just going to let bygones be bygones. I got to live next to this person. I don't need to start a fight. I don't need to stand up for Jesus right now. I, I'll, just, I'll just let it go. I'll just let it go. Or, or there's times where the crowd says, let's do, let's go, let's believe. And you go, yeah, no, I, I will. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll submit. We, we all have that struggle. The Apostle Paul is praying for boldness. He's praying for boldness. And then notice what he says. To, to, God may open my mouth to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in, the chains, in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There's, there's this, oh man. Fear, trepidation. Think of this. Go with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here Paul is talking to his number one pupil, Timothy, right? He's talking to his guy. This is, this, this is a pastor. And Timothy has been a pastor for a long time. Paul has sent Timothy to some pretty, pretty dangerous places, Right? Timothy has been with Paul on missionary journeys. And notice what Paul says to Timothy, because I think he understands this. He, he understands this, this possibility of shame and, and acting cowardly. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. To fan into a flame, meaning it, it's getting cold here, buddy. And I want to I stir you up, right? I want you to, to be on fire. I want you to be excited. I want you to be bold. Then notice what he says. Which, was, which is in you through the laying of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. You see that? Not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, called us to a holy calling. Isn't that incredible? Here, this pastor, Timothy, 
he himself is struggling. Paul knows, man, there's a lot of gut check time. So is it possible for any one of us to be ashamed? Of course. Is it possible that Paul was tempted this way? Of course. Is it possible that Timothy was tempted this way? Of course. But what, what are some of the things that the apostle Paul and Timothy would have had in their own culture that would have caused them to shy away from such a glorious message? Well, think of this. They lived in a culture where there was a lots of different cultures. They lived in a place where there was lots of different religions. Guess what comes from those different religions? Opposition and ridicule. Now, as much as I would love to say that I left all of my ridicule uh, days back in high school and back in high school and people would make fun of me, that's when I got hurt. But now that I'm grown, I have thick skin and ridicule does not bother me at all. That is crazy. Of course it does. In fact, this morning, as I was walking over, I thought, man, something weird with my pants. I asked several people, what do you think? Are my pants too long? Why? Because I, the fear of somebody coming up and going, man, it looks like you have a cheap suit on there, buddy. Ridicule, right? Now, now imagine this. Now you're speaking a message which regardless, on the best day, the greatest sinner, the most self-controlled sinner when hears the gospel, now all of a sudden is forced with all the implications of the gospel, rejects the gospel. What are they going to do? They're going to oppose and many times ridicule. And not just a little, a lot. Of course, of course, of course the apostle Paul is going to go. Of course Timothy's going to go. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be kicked out of town. Some people have even suggested that maybe even as Paul's thinking about himself and his mission, he's thinking Rome. That's the big time, right? To go there, to preach, that's the big time. Me, little old Paul. Think of this, there was also some heresies inside of the church. We know from the letters of Paul that there were several people who, when interacting with heretics, sided with the heretics, said terrible things about Paul. And I, I, I really believe it's true that all Paul had to do was just change a couple words about the message. And guess what? Those heretics would have been fine with him. Wouldn't have caused all this problem, all these heartaches. Well, so what about us as believers? We live in a world, we're not like the Apostle Paul, right? Of course, we have this real struggle. Think about this. The world rejects the gospel on a regular basis. They do. They reject the gospel on a regular basis. We can share the gospel with people over and over and over again. And unless the Spirit of God is working in their heart, they're going to refuse. That's the reality. And with that's going to come persecution. With that's going to come ridicule. With that's going to come this, this distance between you and them. And then when you talk to somebody and they say something and you go, oh, I don't know how to answer that. I don't, who's Socrates? I don't know who that guy is. How am I supposed to talk to somebody who has four philosophy degrees? 
Sometimes we, we get fear, fearful of that. If I talk to such a person, they're going to say something that I won't know the answer and I'll look pretty dumb. I was reading uh, one of Barnhouse's sermons on this passage and he starts off his, ser- his sermon by saying, the worst thing about good people is they are too often cowards. What he was talking about was the gospel. We have the same pressures, by the way, that the Apostle Paul had. Are you kidding me? To go into a place and somebody you don't know, maybe you do know them, and say, you need to consider some guy that you can't see that's died on the cross for your sins somewhere across the ocean. You've never met him on the basis of faith. If it's not true, you're crazy. If it's true, you're helping them out. We all understand that implication. Of course, of course, this is, this. of course we all get it. We all get this. It's easy for us to be ashamed of the gospel. It's easy for us to, to, to step back. It's easy for us not to be bold, not to be brave. The Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed. So what is it about Paul that what he understands that he has moved past this fear is able to conquer his fear to not only just say, I can share the gospel openly, but to say, I am proud of the gospel. It is my glory. It's my boasting. What does he understand? What does he have? Well, We kind of have to talk about the next part of the verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time this week. Next week we will. But but notice what he says next. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. We're going to talk about the implication of this. It's not that it unlocks God's power. Nope. The gospel is God's power. It's not that God mightily moves. He does move. But the gospel is the power of God. He understands what it, what it means when somebody hears the gospel, the spirit works in their heart, and they are transformed because of the gospel. For him, the reason he is not ashamed of the gospel is because the gospel is God's message which brings about salvation. It's the message that says you don't know God and you can never know him except through Jesus Christ. And because that's the message, he goes, what else can I be but boastful about this message? I can't boast in myself. I can't boast in my accomplishments. I can boast in what he's done. I think the Apostle Paul also, as he thinks about some of those, those things that we mentioned earlier in the text about his mission and his message and his motivation, he looks at those and goes, based off of that, how can I not boast about the gospel? Now, the question then is, what's the content of our boasting? Notice what Paul says next. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, this is, this is the core message. This is what we're about. 
I think if we're going to be clear about any message, it's this message. If there's any message you have down, memorized, you understand inside and out, it's this one. I don't care if you understand about angels, though the Bible does describe that and it might be good to know. I don't care. If you know the gospel, that's what I care about because that's the power of God. Okay, you understand who the sons of God are in Genesis 6. Woohoo. But if you don't know the gospel, what does it matter? The, this is the key thing. This is the central message. I was reading a book this past week on the gospel. And it was uh, from a guy who works at a pretty big ministry. And to apply to the ministry, the first question is, what is the gospel? And he shared some of the answers of what he got. And some of the answers were better than others. But the, all the ones he, he brought forward in the book were not the gospel. God loves me, not the gospel. God's redeeming the world, not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's a good news. It's the, it's the end result of it, but it's not the gospel. I feel like Jesus loves me. Sorry, not the gospel. Don't care. That's not the message that saves you. So the question is, what is the gospel? What, what is this message that is the core message, the, the most important message that we are to boast about? There's several places we could go to talk about the good news, this good news. I, I, would, say, I would say that a simple definition of what this is, is this. The righteous one is righteousing the unrighteous. Or, I know God and have a relationship with God on the basis of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what it's about. Now, the content of the gospel of how I come to know God through Jesus Christ is found in 1 Corinthians 15. If I may say something that may be a little harsh on, on what I've heard some people say when I've heard them give their testimony, and if this offends, that's okay. I kind of want it to sting a little bit. The gospel is not about we get to go to a giant barbecue up in heaven or that I get to see loved ones. Now, that is a great added benefit to being a believer. But if that's why you came, walked down an aisle and said some magic words and think because you said some magic words, so you get to go upstairs to a big old barbecue in the sky, which is just a little bit better than a 4th of July meeting, it's not the gospel. That's not the right motivation. The right motivation for the gospel is I don't know God. I do not have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And how do I come to know God through Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what Paul says. Verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received. So notice this is a message that Paul preaches. It's a message that he has said. That's important to remember. I've heard some well-intentioned people say, well, I preach the gospel all the time. And if possible, I use words. Okay, but that's not preaching the gospel. It's a message. In fact, we're going to find out in Romans that if in your preaching of the gospel, it does not include the word of God, 
that's a bad thing because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's a scriptural message, okay? So it's something. And then he says, which you received. Now this word for received is a really interesting word. It's a very specific word, by the way, in this context. Has the idea of intellectually accepting a message. So there's this intellectual accepting of the message. It goes, okay, I understand the contents. I understand intellectually the implications. And then notice what he then says next. In which you stand. Now this is a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor of an act of the volition. It's an act of saying, I'm standing on this and on this exclusively. I'm exclusively accepting this as for my salvation, right? So it's, a, it's an act of, I, I intellectually accept it, and then it's an act of, I'm believing, I'm putting my trust in this message and this message alone. And then notice what he then says next, and he says, and by which you are saved if you hold fast the word I preached. Now this idea of holding fast has the idea of conviction, has with it the idea of emotion. It's not just some message I go, yeah, 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 no, I believe that. It's a message that goes, I believe it. I really believe it. It's a conviction of mine. It is the primary conviction of mine. It's not something that I passively believe. I passively believe that George Washington is the first president of the United States. I intellectually accept that. It's not a conviction of mine. It's not, I'm not going to go fight somebody if somebody says, well, George Washington wasn't the first president. Okay, whatever. I'm not willing to die for that. Jesus dying on the cross for my sins is the only way of salvation? Completely different matter. Because it's a matter of conviction as well. And then notice what Paul says. He says, unless you believed in vain. So as I look at that, I realize that Paul here has defined for us what saving faith is. This is what saving faith looks like. If you haven't done some of this stuff, it's vain. Now notice what he then says in verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance. This word for first, it's probably better as preeminent. As preeminent. What is preeminent? It is all-encompassing encom- all the most important thing. It, everything comes from it. it. It's not just number one. It's like the only thing. And everything else kind of streams from that. So, so, this, so Paul delivered this. This was the thing. This is it. All other messages, okay, we can talk about those later. But here's the thing. Here's the main thing. What did he deliver? And then notice what he says, what I received. So notice that this isn't just a message Paul thought up while he was out in the desert one day. This is a message that he received from Jesus Christ. This is a message that was confirmed by the other apostles. This this is the message. And notice what it is. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus died for you specifically your sins. Jesus died on the cross because you're a sinner. And because of your sin and, on your, and because of your unrighteousness, you do not have the right relationship with God. 
And so God in his great love did what? Sent Jesus Christ to take care of that problem with which I could not take care of. My sins. He died on the cross to save me from my sins. Now notice, in accordance with the scriptures, this is what has been said in the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. This is it. This is it. Jesus came to deal with our sins. And then notice what else it is. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. That's the message. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and if you believe that as Paul has described it, you now have a right relationship with God. Some of that ridicule we talked about, you will experience ridicule if you say to somebody, hey, do you know Jesus as your personal savior? No, well then you don't know God. That's a pretty offensive message, isn't it? But it's true. That's the reality. They don't know the Father. What did Jesus say? No one can come to the Father except through me. Which means what? That they are not with the Father. So this is why Paul is so passionate about the gospel. Because it's the only message that matters. It's the only message that we should really care about. Because all other messages that we have does not bring people to God. They don't have the right relationship with God. And so what other message do you have that could be any more important than Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again? You trust Jesus alone forsaking all other methods of salvation and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. What other message do you have? What other message do you want to be associated with? What other sign do you want to put in your front lawn about who you support or who you don't support? What kind of bumper sticker do you want to put on the back of your car so people know about you? What other message do you have that is of this gravity, of this importance? What other message is worth dying for and living for? What other message could bring you the utmost satisfaction and joy? There is absolutely no other message given to us as human beings that is more relevant and more powerful. And to our shame, we get ashamed of it. Man. May the Lord fan the flame of our heart, right? May, may he cause us to see the gloriousness of this message. This isn't just what I believe and the other church down the street believes something different. No, 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 no. This is the matter of life and death. This is the matter of knowing God and not. I don't know if you saw it on my live stream, but all my guitars are in my office. Um, they're all lined up really nicely. And uh, this might be a shocker to you, but while I study, I play guitar. I know that might be a shocker to some of you. Uh, ask Ellen, she probably hears it throughout the day. If Ellen's radio is really loud, I play my banjo. 
just to get it. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not that mean. I go to her front door. No. Um, uh, and so sometimes there'll just be certain songs that I play throughout the week. I just play them. I don't know why. I just pick up a guitar. I pick up a chord sheet and just play them. This past week, uh, there's one hymn that I keep on singing over and over again in my office as I'm thinking about it. You know this one, Jesus, keep me near the cross, right? Remember the, remember the stanza, in the cross, in the cross, and then what does it say next? Be my what? Glory ever. May that actually be the sentiment of our heart this morning. Let us close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for all that we have through Jesus Christ. May we glory in the gospel. May it be our boasting. May, may you correct us and teach us and encourage us and fan the flame of our soul so that our heart burns with the gospel fire, that, that it, it, is the, it is the engine of our heart. It's our very heartbeat. It's our passion. Father, we are so sorry for the times that we've been about any other message, that we've, we've been about any other thing, that we've been so Twitterpated with things of this world, or that we shamefully, cowardly don't speak up when it's the appropriate time for us to talk about your son, Jesus. Father, help us. Help us. Help us become more like your son. Help us be more brave like your son, Jesus. Help us live in a way that brings you honor and glory. And may the cross be our glory ever. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen.